There you have another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero, and hosted by the Heroes Media Group. On our show today, U.S. Army Special Force veteran Herb Thompson. Herb was raised in a poor family in upstate New York near Rochester. Interestingly enough, at around the age of eight, he knew he wanted to be a soldier, and like many of us, had some great mentors along the way who helped him through the rough stuff. His mission is out to bring transitioning SF operators to the businesses that can use their unique skill sets. He's dedicated, a proven solution seeker. It's our pleasure to bring to you Herb Thompson of SF to Biz. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light em up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. On our show today, U.S. Army Special Force veteran Herb Thompson. And like many of us, he had some great mentors along the way who helped him through the rough stuff. Uh, I, I, I definitely can relate to that. Herb's road to the Special Forces units actually started in U.S. Army Human Resources, where he did a lot of things delivering huge sums of cash. We'll get to that. Then he went on to become a drill sergeant, which he absolutely loved prior to his time with the teams. Herb has had multiple deployments in the Middle East, including a huge successful stint in Afghanistan, where he advised and led Afghan commandos boots on the ground in combat activity. Herb has recently started a company, SF to Biz, which we want to hear a lot about. What he wants to do, he wants to empower Special Forces veterans to seize opportunities in business and to lead the way in the civilian sector like many of them did in the military sector. His love for his Special Forces comrades, both men and women, is undoubtedly second to none. And I got to tell you from the conversations I've had with Herb and watching the short time I've known him, what he does, he is a solution seeker and a leader himself on a mission that is going to help the United States of America in a bigger way. Welcome to the show, Herb. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because when I saw your logo and I heard about what you guys were doing with SF to Biz, I was like, holy cow, another dedicated patriot trying to create another mission uh, that's going to help people, primarily brothers and sisters. So here we are. Tell us a little bit. You, you know, you, you basically recognize the fact that you grew up in a poor family. Tell us about that. Yeah, I grew up uh, upstate New York. Uh, I guess typical family, uh, mom, dad, sister. Um, growing up poor, and then my dad lost his factory job, so we became even more poor. And uh, one of the great things he did that I didn't probably understand that time was he had to take public assistance and go on welfare to just to pay for the family and do all that. And uh it really taught me a lot about like courage and stuff. Cause like, I know that took a lot to swallow his pride to do that. So it was a pretty good learning experience, learning hard work and like the value of money. And like, um, it set the stage for me joining the military. Cause yes, there was the patriotic, I want to serve my country, but also I'd be lying if there wasn't a, Hey, I want to try to change my situation in life. 
make something of myself, you know, and get a job, make some money and get some college. Uh, so it kind of set the stage for that. Well, you touched upon, you know, some of the influences there, you know, hard work and, and, you know, changing your life situation, you know, who, you know, your dad obviously was one of them, but did you have any other mentors coming along? You mentioned a few. Can you, it, it, yeah, yeah, John, I did actually, uh, I had a school teacher, uh, I just talked to a couple of weeks ago. He's been teaching now for 29 years and one day he sat there. He's like, I know you're smarter and you're letting on, uh, you know, you can do good things. So I had him, and it was a, actually the in-school suspension monitor at my school, uh, former Marine, Korean War era guy who played minor league baseball. Uh, rode me pretty hard, and uh, for the good reasons, would let my parents know when I was doing something wrong. His name was Jack Gilman. So he really, like, them two and some of my coaches in athletics and stuff and uh, football, baseball, wrestling, you know, guided me to where I was going, um, helped me see the light and, you know, straightened up to a 17, 16, 15-year-old punk kid into uh, trying to make something for himself. Awesome. Did you have any uh, military in the background of your family? I, I did. I had an uncle who was uh, in uh, a couple cousins. My sister served four years in the Army. I found out after I joined, my grandpa was an infantryman in the Korean War. Uh, but I just always... I guess growing up in small town, maybe, hey, we'd go to the Memorial Day ceremonies, the Veterans Day ceremonies, and my parents made sure I went to those things. And I just always wanted to be a soldier, seeing those things and uh, reading some books and uh, seeing like magazine articles on soldiers um, just made me want to be one. And I knew from an early age, that's what I wanted to do. So right out of high school, you went, so you're, your sister's older or younger? Yeah, she's older. She's five years older. So she, she went a little bit after high school. Went in the army, did um, logistics, um, and then got out. And then I went in straight out of high school at age seventeen, uh, about a month and a half after I graduated high school. But I signed up during my senior year. So you knew what to expect already from your sister. I mean, was it a huge transition for you? Uh, no, actually, it was kind of. I loved it. Hey, just go work hard, do what you're told. It's uh, it's kind of easy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of looking at. It. I guess I guess <laughs> if if you buck the system, you don't last too long, do you? Yeah, or, you know, pain comes with it, especially in basic training. I had a guy, hey, advised me just to be the gray man in basic training when I went through, and I, I tried to do that. And um, I, for whatever reason, got singled out, uh, and it was for good reason, you know. Um, and uh, I was unable to be the gray man, so they rode me quite quite a bit. And uh, But I enjoyed it, and I was like, hey, I like this Army thing. Didn't think it was going to last 20 years, but uh, I enjoyed it. Where did you go to basic training at? Uh, Fort Jackson. Yep. Was that uh, Tank Hill? Yeah, up there. Yep, up there, Tank Hill. And I, I mean, I still remember my three drill sergeants. One of them was a Special Forces uh, uh, Green Beret, and I still remember all three of them. Um, drill Sergeant White, Gregory, and Smith. Awesome, <laughs> man. I, I actually was at Fort Jackson, too, and my uh, senior drill sergeant was a uh, Army Ranger, that type of guy, and yeah, I hear you, brother. Definitely, you just mentioning Fort Jackson brings back some memories. So, <laughs> so your MOS was human resources. It wasn't you weren't getting into Eleven Bravo right away then. No, I couldn't. That's why I asked to be airborne infantry, airborne ranger, and they're like, you're colorblind, so you could be a chaplain's assistant or at least three jobs. <laughs> and uh, I said no to the chaplain's assistant, and then the three jobs were all human resources. So I said, which one looks best on a resume? And what I got stuck with is whatever they they said was best on resume, which means they probably just needed more that week or month for, to fill their quota. But that's how I ended up in it. 
Well, interestingly enough, too, I mean, for those that might be out there laughing about human resources, you ended up in a pretty crazy place, Uzbekistan. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we had a deployment, um, partially some of the UNOs in Uzbekistan, some in Afghanistan. So uh, really, I just was concentrated on um, keeping uh, track of the personnel flow, coming in and out, doing reports like that. And then the finance unit was with us, so we had to take money out to different units, truthfully, a lot of times special forces. So we would load up on a, a plane or a helicopter with a kit bag with like $250,000 and we'd go drop it off to them. And on some airstrip in 2003 with a guy with a beard and Aloha shirt, who turns out was a special forces NCO. And uh, we did that. And I think one time we moved $8 million was the biggest we moved. Wow. Incredible. So this was money that our forces were using to buy interest or buy supplies or, you know, I would pro- I'd probably say all above. I don't know, but yeah. now knowing what I know, I uh, haven't been over there. Yeah. They're buying supplies, probably paying for their, their, um, their fighters, giving them a salary, um, paying for their own food. Right, uh, that, you know, the list could go on. Right. And then, so you, you did that. And then you decided now, you know, drill sergeant school is not easy. And that's where you went to <laughs> next. Yeah, I, I volunteered for drill sergeant school, and then my unit came down on deployment for Iraq. So a mentor of mine from the military was working up there at uh, Human Resource Command, and I was like, hey, get me off that drill sergeant stuff. I want to deploy to Iraq. And he's like, nope, you just did Afghanistan. You need to go do this drill sergeant thing. Uh, it's better for your career, and you'll get more deployment. So I ended up being a drill sergeant volunteer for it. Yeah, I almost uh, got kicked out of drill sergeant school, uh, which is kind of funny where it all ended up. but. Um, it was good. About, tell us about <laughs> that, man. If you want to, I mean, I, yeah. You know, well, but, but I've been told that drill sergeant school is like one of the toughest schools in the army. Yeah, it was it, back then. I, I think it's different now. They just treated you like a private. So we slept in the barracks, and they would come and do barracks inspections and keep us up all night and take us out, rolling us around in the dirt, having us do push-ups and stuff at you know midnight. And uh, I kind of just got sick of it and stood up and was like, hey, uh, we're not doing this anymore. And the whole class stood up with me. So they kind of got upset that I led a little mutiny. But, hey, we stopped getting messed with for the rest of the, a couple weeks. Uh, I get that, man. So where were you, where did you do drill sergeant duty at? Uh, so I, I ran at Fort Jackson, actually, just down the hill from where I <laughs> ran over from where I actually went to basic training. So I, I did um, – some time there, and I worked up the drill sergeant school before uh, doing the drill sergeant of the year uh, gig, if you so to speak. Awesome, man. Where is the drill sergeant school? Uh, Fort Jackson is the only drill sergeant school now. There used to be multiple ones, but now uh, Fort Jackson has the only Army drill sergeant school. Awesome. So, yeah, we remember the drill sergeants, don't we? And, you know, a lot of times, you see, it's, you were on both sides, but, you know, when I think of drill sergeants, I look back on certain times in my own short career uh, you know, the, at the time, you didn't really understand what was going on, but in retrospect, you get it. And I got to tell you, the drill sergeants that I came in contact with uh, at the company level down to the platoon, those were some very, very, very professional people who took their job seriously. And uh, and I and I was a sponge for it. And so thank you very much for being a drill sergeant and helping train all those soldiers. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the one, it's the only job I've seen where you see the impact of your work. And then, you know, eight to 10, 15 weeks, however long you have the soldier, you make a lifelong impression where they'll never forget you there. I, I can't really think of anybody else who makes that kind of impact besides a drill sergeant. It, it is because they're professionalism. Yeah, I love that. So, okay. So drill sergeant school and, and, you know, 
How did you get to the teams? What happened? Uh, so, yeah, I went up, did the drill start of the year stuff. Uh, my boss up there, Sergeant Major, was a Special Forces guy, and I was, was on the verge of, hey, I looked at like I was in a rocking chair, you know, 30 years from now, sitting on the porch, hey, <laughs> should I should I do this? Could I have done this? Would I have done it? And there was only one way to do it. So I volunteered for selection in the Special Forces, uh, figured a way around the colorblind test, and then uh, went to selection and got selected to go uh, through the Q course. What year was that? That was 2009 when I, I went through selection. So we were already full force involved in some stuff around the globe at that time. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I knew I wanted to go to fifth group because we're, we're concentrated on the um, Middle East, and uh, there hasn't been peace there in quite a while, and there, it wasn't going to break out in a few years uh, for the rest of my career. So what was your first deployment? I know you had multiple deployments. Or you know what, let's not even – what impacted you the most during your deployments? And I know I want to get to the commando story too. Yeah, I'd say each one in its own unique way. My very first one was training uh, Lebanese, uh, their version of Special Forces. They're, um, they have a couple different ones, but they're a Lebanese Air Assault Regiment. We're getting to train them just in tactics and uh, help improve them so we don't need you know Americans over there doing a job to help them. So that was really my first one, and that's when it was a eye-opening event for me because, like, I had trained Americans before, but now going to train, you know, foreign soldiers, which is a lot of what a, being a Green Beret is, it was a wow. I love this, and hey, quite frankly, I'm good at it. I made a connection with them. I enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed it ever since. Well, that's what, you know, one, some people that don't really understand is the mission, like you just pointed out, Herb, is force multiplier. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what Special Forces is, or Green Berets, most people know us. Yeah, we're force multipliers. So you send a 12-man team in there. Instead of sending in 500 Americans of a Marine battalion or a Army infantry battalion, send us in there and let us train that either militia or you know the indigenous partner force and get their skill sets up so they can provide their own security. And America's sons and daughters don't need to go there. And by doing that, we're force multiplying. So you got 12 guys doing a job of what you know, what could take a lot more, uh, provide long-term security in areas that you know no longer even need American soldiers there. Which is which is something you know you pointed out. You know how critical that is. That you know if we get them to fight their fights, then it does take the American element out of it. You know, takes our lives. Obviously, you're still at risk when you're there but not nearly as much as if we had more ground forces there. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, risk of life and treasure by sending just 12 guys in to train them up is, you know, it's much smaller than sending in, you know, 500 or more Americans. And then just that's more uh, simple terms that just more odds for them to get, you know, more numbers. It's easier for something to go wrong. Uh, so I hear you on that. So, you know, and you say, you say you loved it. You said you were good at it. So you obviously believed and what you were fighting for, what you were doing as a job, and, you know, what kept you focused? For me, as uh, just the good guys around me. You know, you don't want to let your guys on on your team down, so you, you, every day you put your most into it. And uh, so on a daily basis, that was it. But, I mean, hey, in that quiet times, I would think, okay, I'm doing this, so hopefully my kids don't have to come over here. Or, hey, the folks back home, they're at a baseball game today or at a dance recital they don't need to be worrying about this war stuff. We're over here taking care of it. And those two things, my teammates and thinking about the people back home that were getting to live their lives, what's drove me through everything. That's awesome way of looking at it. You know, so we talk about memorable experiences in the military. I know that you, uh, you did something pretty important on that one, uh, deployment to Afghanistan. 
Can you talk a little bit about that without giving away? Too yeah, much? definitely. There's nothing secret about it. So we went there and essentially I was given a commando company to advise 156 commandos, Afghan commandos, awesome guys uh, working with them. And we would train them up. And then usually when we'd go on mission, the whole team would go out with them. But on the training days when it was with my guys, it was just me and 100 commandos out there training. Uh, sometimes with an interpreter. So we got to do a lot of good missions. And there was a couple missions since our guys were a little more advanced that they got permission for me to go out without other Green Berets and just a couple, like an infantry guys with me and a whole bunch of commandos to elevate the commando skill sets so they weren't dependent on us Green Berets. Got permission to do that and went out and did that quite a few times. So they were obviously, you know, we hear a lot about Afghans and they were obviously those commandos really dedicated to the fight oh yeah i mean anywhere has their bad apples but they were dedicated to the fight i mean they were living it you know nine about nine weeks in combat then they would take nine weeks off and then nine weeks training up for it where they would do some combat missions and i mean they're living it day in day out uh, i mean it's their country and they've been doing it for years so they were for the most case hardened fighters i loved them they were dedicated and they really wanted to make a difference to secure their people in their country what can you say about the afghan people in general the ones that you came in contact with oh uh, it's in my mind i look at them a lot similar to the folks back here at home is they just want to be left alone they want to be able to pray what they want to pray to you know, grow their crops do whatever their business is and just be left alone is most i saw the problem is the people that don't want to leave them alone, which is, uh, you know, the nefarious characters, the insurgents there, they use that, come in and uh, harass them and whatnot, and then you get to where you're at. Yeah. So, you know, out of anything, you know, as a member of the team, what experience or any episode can you think of that, that really sticks in your mind? Yeah, actually, quite a few, but especially that mission, we were... Uh, we had done a mission, got in a good firefight. We were, they told us to flex to another mission. Our leadership was saying no, but we still had to flex to it. So we flexed to it. And then we, uh, right before the helicopters came to pick us up, they actually uh, opened fire on us, multiple machine guns. It was something like off a of TV. So we finally got aircraft in there. All of us were pinned down. We had got enough suppressive fire on them. We started, you know, winning the battle. Uh, aircraft came in, dropped some bombs. Everything is great. And then I'm lining up the commandos thinking the whole the whole fight's over. And then one of my buddies comes over. He's like, hey, man, you're pretty brave. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're still taking fire. And I was like, I didn't know this. So I was walking around, and that's when I realized everybody else was crouching down and kind of like taking a knee. And I was just walking around this open field for about 20 minutes while we're taking fire. Hmm. Uh, and he thought I was just being like trying to, you know, inspire the commandos. And it was really just me being stupid and not knowing <laughs> that we're uh, taking fire. But I think it's a good um, example of, hey, you always got to be situationally aware. And even in that moment, I wasn't uh, just a great guy to work with. The relationships is what uh, I really, re you know, respect and uh, look back on that I built with them Afghans and with my guys on my team and then in other deployments, too. Well, you know, thank thank the power of the universe for, you know, not, you know, singling you out as a sniper target, you know, but that's good. Uh, situational awareness is a lesson that uh, that we can carry on to the civilian world. So thinking about the civilian world, you made the transition. You did your 20 years. You decided to make that transition. Tell us about the transition. Yeah, so uh, my mindset is I'm treating it like a mission, and I'm still going through that transition process now. And uh, everything that's made me successful on missions by studying the 
preparation we did, making plans, uh, courses of action to follow. That's what I've done with my transition. I really look at it. We have to learn a new language because, uh, uh, you know, people on the private sector don't speak our military terms and we got to learn the new business terms. Uh, we need to learn the new culture because what's the culture of the businesses? It's different than the culture we've been here on the teams or any veteran is service. Hey, it's flat out different. Uh, and, you know, there's that military-civilian divide where what, less than 1% serve. So we have to go and, you know, share our story and also educate people on what skill sets we're bringing because they may not naturally understand it. So as I go through the transition, said, hey, um, I saw a problem there where there wasn't anything specifically to help uh, Green Berets and, you know, leverage their unique skill sets that we have. Uh, so I said, I'm going to make a, make a difference here and find a solution. And we started that with SF to Biz. Uh, to empower the guys to uh, seize opportunities in business and, you know, go through that transition. I think there's, that's a lot of stuff we talk about. I think you and I have talked offline before about, you know, the mental aspect of it, of uh, everybody has seen some stuff. So like, how do they handle that? And I think everybody is different, but I think just talking with people is, is a good way to do it. And talking to people who understand uh, what you've been through and what you're going through of, Hey, I'm leaving a very close knit team like environment to boom, now I'm out on my own in the civilian world, and maybe I latch on to a good company with a good culture, and maybe not, but uh, expectation manager, I'm not going to have the same thing I had, like in the team where there was 10, 12 brothers on a team that just, you know, we, we would die for each other. You had their back. Uh, we'd fight internally like any siblings would, but, you know, we, we would go to bat for each other, and you could always count on them. And, that isn't necessarily easy to find out there uh, once we transition. So um, doing as much as we can to find some like-minded people to at least have that bond with and then be able to talk about it, I think, uh, helps out. Absolutely. So what do you see? You know, What's your visualization for SF to Biz for the next five years? And what kind of legacy would you like to see it have? Yeah, I would say in a big, grandiose way, making America a better place, I think uh, – you know, more veterans that can be empowered to create businesses and uh, do the good things they did overseas back home. We just make the country better, specifically our niche with the unique skill sets of a Green Beret. Doing them about 550 to 600 Green Berets get out a year. Uh, there's a lot of them um, that want to still work and still find purpose and meaning. So within a couple of years, we like every Green Beret that's transitioning out is empowered to, you know, maximize their value that they bring to organization and organizations understand the value that they bring. Uh, so in five years, um, it's a easier transition than what guys had five years ago. Well, you know, you talked about language, you know, military language to civilian language. And, and then you just talked about value, you know, for those that are listening, any business owners out there or anybody tell us straight up, what is the value of a special forces team member to a civilian sector business? Yeah, I'd say first is, you know, the human skills they bring, whether it's, um, you know, they are human connection. That's how we get everything done. We're able to build rapport, our emotional intelligence. That's how we're able to get things done. And it's not because we show up in a country. We have to earn the people's respect. So the emotional intelligence and leadership that uh, a special forces service member brings is, you know, off the charts because they've done it in an austere environment, in a different language. Uh, to solve strategic problems, you know, that really affect um, the intent strategy behind some stuff in the national security circles. So you, you get that type of person, you get a problem solver who has solved problems again all over the world with minimal guidance, 
and always without all the information, uh, we, they're able to plan through that and have contingencies. So when the plan goes wrong, because it will go wrong, uh, they're able to do that problem solving. And then I'd say lastly, just the grit. Um, the Like other elite military personnel, like SEALs, Rangers, Special Forces guys don't give up. Uh, we accept challenge and we take it face on. And no matter that's in a business challenge or if that's in a firefight or that's on a ruck march, we're not going to quit. So, I mean, that's the type of people you want in your company that's going to go to bat for you and keep working on the problem, keep working on the problem to make the company successful, bring, you know, bring dollars in, get a Green Beret in there, and he'll do that. Right. You know, we talk about when we think of special forces operators, right, some of those guys don't like that. But uh, <laughs> but when you think about that, you know, it's always about teams. Can you tell us um, – how important it is teamwork is to the special forces operator. Oh yeah. Big time. Um, I mean, without a team, you're not, especially in special forces because we're geared around our special forces operational detachment alphas, which is a 12 man, a team. Everything is done with the teamwork. Everybody's cross trained between each other. And when we go out and work, we're always working with that team is the, who deploys and takes on a mission set. And then, you know, we can break down into smaller groups to, you know, do submissions on that, but we're always working together with our team. And like, the big thing is we know I got a very dependable guy who's a problem solver with that grit who I can count on watching my back and vice versa. Uh, so teamwork is crucial for us. Well, you know, I know some of the big, um, some of the big things that we're looking for in business these days, we read about it all the time, Herb, is it inclusivity and diversity. And tell us about the experience of special forces operator in those areas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think of diversity in a lot of ways and like a diversity of thought being one of those that are big. I'll just use me as an example. I've worked in nine countries with nine different cultures, uh, just over the last few years of deployments, uh, working with, you know, each one is its own unique culture and its own unique language, its own, um, problem sets, if you will. So being able to handle that and understand that and work work with that and actually maximize the value that people bring, I think that is another thing that uh, special forces guys bring is they understand that diversity brings success and how to maximize that diversity for the most potential uh, value going forward. Absolutely. So it's an understatement to say that when you you know when a company looks at a special forces soldier they're not just getting any standard issue they're getting somebody with elite skill sets yeah definitely and i actually was having a discussion the other day with a, a psychologist um so a, a great thing about special forces you got a guy who's already been through multiple selections and volunteered multiple times to be put through the ringer if you will they went through basic they went through airborne they went through the special forces selection they went through the special forces course and then done the missions the guy's already been selected and vetted to be a elite person uh based off of those tasks that job's done you don't even need to do a selection process you know you got a good guy there that you know is smart can work hard and solve problems so uh you know take advantage of that and, you know, and no disrespect to any other soldiers or sailors or airmen or any of that, but, you know, the, what you're telling me is basically you have a high-value employee right here. Yeah, yeah, no disrespect to anyone else. We're just different and have possessed unique skill sets that uh, will bring value, and all the guys I talk to are out they're successful. Their companies are seeing the value that they're bringing by being that force multiplier within the company 
and uh, not just helping their little section of the company, but like having benefits, you know, that are tangible and intangible across the organization. Right. Let's shift here for a second. You know, when you um, when you hear the word freedom, what does that mean to you, Herb? I mean, thank God I live in America, and that's the way I look at it. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Yeah. Uh, I get it. I get it. I, I, I kind of look at hey, I won the lottery by being born here in America, and uh, but I also think it's not free. You know, that's came with a price way before I ever came along, and it will after this. So I want to do my part, and I've done that, and uh, I encourage people to understand that, you know, the freedom is not free. And I think a lot of times people take it for granted living here in America that hey, right now I can go, you know, take a walk with my dog or I can go down to the park with my kids. And that's, you know, they don't even think about, and I'll be guilty of this too. Like, wow, right now there's people manning combat missions outposts around the world. So I can do that here at home today. Um, you know, it's not, if we all thought a little more about that, maybe we would appreciate it a little more because I've been there. I've seen evil. Uh, I've seen it overseas and what it's, what it's allowed to do and how people have to live. And that's just not the case here. But I think here in America, a lot of people take that freedom for granted and they don't understand how there is not freedom in a lot of other countries around the world. Well, that's, that's a great point, you know, well stated because the rest of the world does not live like Americans do. That is for sure. Um, you know, but talking about our great country, let me ask you this, Herb. Do you think that freedom in America is available to all Americans? I do. I do think it is. Are we perfect? No. Do people have to deal with stuff they shouldn't have to, whether it's based on their gender or their skin color or their uh, religion? Yeah, I'm sure there are. There's ignorant people everywhere that, you know, affect others. But in this country, you know, you can achieve what you want to achieve. Uh, you can get to school. You can uh, get an education. You, you can better yourself. And, uh, you know, you're only limited by your own uh, barriers in this country, in my opinion, and what I've experienced. What do you think it's going to take for all of us, all Americans, to have or to be able to have that, yeah, experience that freedom? Uh, I'd say a couple things. One is you have to believe that you can, you have that freedom and that you can do it and not put barriers. So if somebody's putting a barrier in their own way, cause they think they're not, uh, you know, you can't hold yourself back cause there's going to be forces in life that hold you back. Uh, that'd be one and two is just, you know, there's knuckleheads out there and you know, they're dealt with. And that's, that's actually a great thing about America because we can agree to disagree, but you can say something, but if you're doing something illegal now or, you know, holding people back in that regard now that, you know, that's not cool and obviously not allowed. And there's ways of dealing with that. So I think, the big thing is the barriers, breaking down them barriers. If there's any that are still there, good. And then teaching people and getting them to believe in themselves to break down their own barriers. Yeah, well put. You know, some people might say that it doesn't really matter what the rest of the world thinks about Americans. But let me ask you this. Does it matter what the rest of the world sees in America? Yeah. <laughs> just, just asking, you know. Yeah, big question. Um, I think so. In general, do I care? No. Uh, should we do stuff just so other countries like us? No, but I mean, we are a country that has done a lot of good for this world. And it's a lot of it's been through service members going over and shedding their blood to free other people. Uh, and for no other reason than to free other people, uh, and let them have the freedoms that we have here. So, uh, yeah, I think it's good that people think highly of us or respect America, but 
you know, that's a very subjective term and, uh, you know, feelings, how somebody feels, we can't really control. Roger that. So, you know, that being said, you know, when I particularly look at combat veterans and the state of, you know, some of the things that are happening these days, you know, the shooting just in California and, uh, you know, let me ask you this. What do you want non-military minded Americans to know about combat veterans? Because there seems to be this pervasive perception that all combat veterans are hair triggered maniacs ready to go off on a moment's notice. You know, t- 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 what's your belief on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a very good question. Uh, first thing I always tell people, I'm a normal person. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I have a dog that I like to go throw the ball out in the yard for. Um, so just because I've been to combat doesn't mean I'm not a normal person. I've just seen some things that a lot of people wish they, you know, they don't even want to hear about. Um, but that hasn't changed who I am. I'm still a human being, a normal, normal guy walking down the street. So I'd say one, two. Uh, yeah, we're not all like crazy or hair trigger or um, you hear a lot of times they're worried about waiting, you know, for some vet to snap. And it's how many millions of veterans are out there not snapping or not having those issues. Uh, so you can't, it's very easy. They stereotype veterans sometimes, some people, uh, just because the actions of one or two people. And um, it's, you know, we're normal people that just happen to go and serve and, you know, put our lives on the line so that, you know, America can be free. Great point. You know, I was talking to a psychologist several weeks ago, and he was basically telling me that if somebody had a homicidal uh, mentality before the military, the military is not going to change that. They're still, they're still going to have it even after the military. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the person is the person. Uh, now, a lot of times they won't make it through the military or you'll see in their careers they weren't that successful. Uh, but yeah, you know, bad seeds slip, uh, slip through the cracks anywhere. Yeah, that's true. So, so let's say we have a transitioning veteran out there, combat veteran, man, woman, that's in a bad place, what kind of advice would you give to that, him or her, Herb? Seek help. Ask for help. Um, it's something as a veteran, we don't usually like to go ask for help because uh, especially with like special forces guys, we don't, hey, I can figure this out. I can do that. Uh, but A, ask for help because you're not alone. Uh, there's many of people that have walked through your shoes and walked in your footsteps. Um, there's many people who want to help you. So, but nobody knows to help you unless you say something. So reach out, talk to someone, even if it's uh, you know a close teammate or a veteran. But it doesn't have to be a veteran. But find somebody you can talk with and uh, ask for help. I think that's the big thing. It's, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, you're you're so right about that. And it's actually you know it's hard to believe when you're thinking about it, but it takes a lot of courage to actually reach out and. Uh, you're not going to be ridiculed. You're going to, and you're right. There's so much help out there if you just look for it. Yeah, and I, there's that stigma there of I don't want, you know, I don't want to be looked. So it does take that courage to go, hey, I messed up. I need help. And uh, I think having that discussion with, you know, oneself first, once you can overcome that, then I think you're on the road to getting some treatment, some help. Once you overcome the internal battle of I actually have a problem, I need some help. Yeah, well put. Um, so if there's a special forces transitioning soldier out there listening, and I'm sure there are, and or a 
national corporation, a regional corporation, a local corporation that's interested in the skill sets that the SF operators possess, how do they get a hold of you? Phone number, email address, those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. So uh, first is going to be the website, uh, www.sf2biz.com. And then our email addresses are on there. Director at sf2biz.com is mine. Always willing to reach out and I'm always willing to take anybody who wants to offer advice and insight and um, uh, help help Green Berets uh, succeed as they uh, transition out of the service. So what can we do to help support your mission? Yeah, I'd say a big thing is spreading the word. And, and we've talked about it here with overcoming them stereotypes of, oh, the veteran. And, and not even understanding where people don't understand the, the skills that our Green Bray is bringing. Not, it's not necessarily a stereotype, but um, bridging that gap, that information gap of educating people on, hey, here's, here's the skill sets that a Green Bray or any veteran brings. And just it's we're talking about SF to Biz, you know, focusing on Green Berets here what their value they bring and so people understand that and i think the more people talk about it the more people will recognize that and there's also for the green berets you know we we have to translate our skills the right way it doesn't help if we're um you know we have to transform and in our transition to go join the corporate world uh or in a business whatnot so um you know, that communication, I think, filling that information gap. So, you know, briefly walk me through a successful mission with SF to Biz. Yeah. So a guy uh, hits us up, says, hey, I'm looking for help. I'm transitioning or I'm already out. Uh, okay. Uh, here's some information. Let's look through your stuff. Where are you trying to go? And have a good discussion with him of where he wants to go in life. What's that next mission? What's the transition mission going to be? Uh, what industry they're trying to go to, what location, what they're trying to do. And then uh, two things we really talk about is culture, you know, finding a purpose. Because uh, we aren't going to have the same purpose that drove us while we were on the teams doing what we were doing. So, hey, you can discount that, but at some point you're going to be looking for that purpose of, hey, I'm making money, but I'm not feeling it. So we had those discussions and we connect them to mentors that have been there. They Most of them are former Green Berets who – have gone through the transition themselves so they can discuss all those things. They can help them with their resume. They put them in contact with people in their industry to help them succeed and get jobs as they go out. Once we do that, we connect to more and one mentor. So a guy gets some multiple mentors helping him out. And then the guy secures his position he wants or his schooling that he wants. And then he goes ahead and pays it forward by uh, helping the next guys coming behind him. Uh, and just circles the wagons back up and helps the next guy a couple of years down the road uh, go through the same process he did. So it's relatively seamless then. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be. And uh, the thing is, everybody's unique. Everybody has their own individual, um, not issues, but problem set, if you will, of, hey, I'm trying to go here or here's my skills. This is what I'm trying to do. So, you know, one guy may be, it might only take a month and other guys, it may be a year depending on uh, where they're going, what they're trying to do and how, um, what those parameters are. So, but it's a pretty seamless process and guys that we've helped so far in the process of helping really seem to like it because they're getting like one-on-one attention from a green beret or somebody that understands what a green beret value is to help them. And, uh, we don't know what we don't know. So these mentors are filling in those gaps uh, for the 
transitioning guys. That's awesome work. You know, I'm really, uh, I'm really grateful to have finally got you here on Straight Out of Combat Radio. There you have Herb Thompson, Special Forces veteran and former drill sergeant, United States Army, uh, founder and team member of SF to Biz which is going to fill the gap in helping our transitioning special forces operators find the jobs that they need. And I also want to encourage the business owners and managers and leaders out there to hit you up because you are going to have a treasure trove of human capital that can help their companies grow and prosper. So yeah, big time. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you want us to know her before we sign off here for this episode? No, I, I really appreciate what you're doing here, John, and the overall mission of, um, I think this is part of how we, we bridge that military civilian divide here and break through some of them veteran stereotypes is having guys like myself and the other veterans on here talking and hopefully people understand just from hearing this, that we're normal people. Um, yeah, we went to war and we did some things that, you really don't want to know about or hear about deep, you know, if you're really honest with yourself, but we're back here. We're normal people. And we just want to live good lives and uh, do what everybody else wants to be successful, have a, you know, raise a good family and uh, live the American dream. Well said. And I appreciate you again, being here, her with us today. Uh, blessings to your family. I'm wishing you a happy holiday here the next week. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation. And I know that I'm going to be hearing and seeing a lot more of SF to biz uh, as we start to build the network and spread the word as much as we can, anything we can do on our end, we are here. We're, you know, we're 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 coming to to be on the same mission with you, and uh, looking forward to the future. No, I appreciate it, John. It's awesome to be teamed up with you. Thank you, Herb. You gotta before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.